if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Jonah 1. We're going to go to uh, chapter 1. If we go to the next slide for me. Oh, I've got a clicker. Thank you. Yeah, I've got it. Thanks. So Jonah 1, if you turn to that. Or Jonas 1? Uno? Jonas 1? There you go. So this is what we're going to be looking at today. You've got it. I'm going to read these verses out, pray, and then we're just going to explore and see what kind of comes out. Can we go to Tommy? Okay. Cool. Let's read these verses, shall we? <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid for the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we look at these verses, maybe to your honour, maybe to your glory, just pray that as we just kind of look at these three verses, God, just may you speak to us through this, we pray different ways. Amen. Amen. So the, the book begins with kind of a classic phrase that we see in majority of prophetic books. Now the word of the Lord came to blank. It's kind of really just a common way that majority of the prophetic books kind of started. So imagine kind of you're in the time of, of the Israelites after Jonah, you would have read this and you would start the book saying that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. You would have probably gone, yeah, okay, quite normal, kind of a normal story. As soon as we get to verse two, the normality of this story radically changes. Kind of straight away. The word of the Lord goes to Jonah, great. Arise, go to Nineveh. What? What on earth are you on about going on there? Let, let me explain why. Well, the Ninevites were Israelites' enemy. And, and that's me putting it nicely. Like, they, they were real enemies in that kind of way. Just to describe some of the things that the Ninevites have done that's recorded in historical books. Um, they used to stretch the body parts of people to mock them. They used to put clips on tongues and stretch them to mock them and ask them to talk. Uh, they used to, uh, after uh, decapitating and, 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 and kind of killing people, used to put their limbs on sticks and get their family members to parade them around uh, to mock them. Here's the worst one that I read. This is bad, right? They used to carve the legs and one arm of their enemies so they could shake the hand of them as they would die. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's quite a bad way to go. <laughs> just shaking someone's hand. Like, it's, the, the, I'm painting this picture really just to kind of go, ugh. It's that they are not good people. The stuff that they did. It was a terrorist state. The Ninevite to Israelites would have, would have caused fear to them. Even, even saying the word Nineveh, would it be like a, no, definitely not. It, it, it's like saying the name Mufasa to hyenas. <laughs> Mufasa. <laughs> Mufasa. Ooh, say it again. Say it again. Like, that's, that's what it would have been. It would have been the same as saying, 
Mufasa to hyenas was the same as saying Nineveh to Israelites. Nineveh. Ooh. Don't go near that. Don't want to go near, near where they are. It was completely an enemy. Horrid and away from God's heart entirely. In fact, Nineveh would, was ending up being destroyed in around 1612 BC. So you have Nineveh that is destroyed, and we're going to come back to that comment in a bit. However, looking at these verses, God wanted his prophet to go to Nineveh. God wanted his prophet, his chosen person, who's going to share about God's glory, to go to Nineveh? If you look at all the other prophetic books, majority of them don't go to anyone outside the Israelites. Especially not the enemy. It would have been many to the Israelites sharing what God's word is for them, or maybe adjacent to that, but it definitely, none of the books ever says, oh prophet of God, go to the enemy. The people that you shudder in fear about, that you disgust about, go to them. If you want a book about God's glorious grace and mercy, choose Jonah, hey? Man, about what they were doing was awful, and yet God is saying, go to these people and tell them that if they don't repent, I will cut them off. Which means if you do repent, I will save you. Wow. Quite a really interesting book, eh? Nothing about this mission made sense. We know in two kings as well, Nahum prophesied that Nineveh would be destroyed. That's why it's really helpful to come out in the historical books that it was and then it been destroyed. But already at the beginning of Jonah, if you were reading it in the context, you would have known about Nahum's prophecy. And you would have gone, well, wait a second now. There's a disconnect here. One word is saying it's going to be destroyed. Another word is saying that they'll be saved. How does that work? We'll come back to that in a bit as well. So what happens? Jonah said, go to you right then, go to Nineveh, prophesy and tell them my goodness. What does Jonah do? He runs. He's <laughs> like, nope, forget this, literal opposite. Everything that Jonah did was opposite. Similar to our game, kind of when one instruction is given and you do the opposite, that's the exact same thing of what Jonah did. In fact, just a small map, just to kind of show you about where we are, we got in... Google map position A, well, ladies are working, that's where he was in God Heifer. Nineveh was not that far away, so to speak, to the, to the east. Jonah went to Joppa to the left, <laughs> as far as he could. God said go by land, he went by boat. Like, in every way that you can imagine is opposite, Jonah literally did it. Short journey, he went for a long one. He said, go west, he went east. Land, boat. Like, that's, that's literally what Jonah's saying. So here's a question that we need to answer. Why did Jonah refuse it? Well, I think there's two things that we can kind of pull out based on his reaction. We read not only in these verses, but in the book. Number one, absolute fear. Let's not beat around the bush, right? There was probably just genuine fear about what was going on. It's really understandable when the request is just not normal. And if we're using our own bravery and courage, if Jonah was using that, it would just seem weird or really upsetting, or to be honest with you, kind of stupid. 
great. It's like, God, you're saying to go to them. Like, why would I do that? It's like saying in 1945, saying to a Christian converted Jew, saying, by the way, go to the middle of the streets of Berlin and say to the Nazis, if you don't repent and stop what you're doing, God's going to cut you off. It's the exact same thing. So when you put it in our kind of context and understand it, you can kind of understand why it was genuine fit. It, it really makes sense. It's not just a nice Sunday school story. It's this side of saying, you're calling God's person to go to a completely anti-God terrorist state and to say, repent. It's fearful. It's dangerous. It feels unrealistic. So relying on our own strength, on our natural strength, on our own expectation and trying to marry that up to God's supernatural quest, God's adventure, God's command to us can easily force a, a mixed marriage. Where our strength, our courage, our bravery, our expectation doesn't meet what God's direction is for us, there can easily be this misalignment and can be a showstopper. If I think about myself, I, I work part-time for the church, I work part-time in secular. There's easily a place where that can become a showstopper. Why am I doing this? There's, there's so much work on both sides. There's fear of the unknown. There's fear of not knowing about whether the, the pay would be right. There's fear of not knowing whether my energy and stamina would be right. And so if I'm relying on myself, compared to knowing what God's direction for me, there can be a mismatch and a showstopper. What's helpful is when we have assurance to know that God is in control. That is his plan. But I think there is another issue here that is under the surface about Jonah that we can read from his actions. And I think the other reason why Jonah refused is because he had mistrust in God's plan. I think he had just mistrust in what God said. Jonah had a problem with the job being given, but a bigger problem with the one who gave it. He couldn't see the reason on why God said that. God didn't give a reason. He said, just get up and go. And so he couldn't see a reason for that. And so because he couldn't justify a reason, you kind of see Jonah's reaction saying, well, God's clearly wrong then. This can't be correct, so I'm not going to do it. Jonah's reaction wasn't just a, no, I'll stay here, or I'll test it out like Gideon. Do you see what I'm saying? Like he, he wasn't like, let me just test it, or no, actually, I'll just stay here for a second. His reaction was, forget this. I'm going. I'm leaving. God, you're kind of normally correct, but not this time. Ain't no way you would ask me to do this. Sometimes we ask the questions ourselves. If God loves me, then why would I be doing this? Or why am I going through this? The classic question that is often asked on Alpha is, if God is all loving, why does he allow suffering? It's kind of a question that emerges and bubbles up to something like this. Clearly, God can't love me, or he's just wrong in this because of what's going on. Can I be vulnerable and truthful? I fall into this more than I want to admit, this, this type of mistrust to God. I end up doubting God's plan for me and his goodness because I'm in a certain situation, or he's asked me to do something that I really don't want to do. Oh, you want me to speak to these people at work about our faith? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't really want to do that. 
Or, oh, you want me to share Jesus with a bunch of people that might cancel me or hurt me? Yeah, I'm alright actually, Father, thank you. I'm glad you're good. Let's just post something on YouTube or on Facebook and be done with it. When it comes to our dignity, our employment status, our social status, when it comes to potentially sacrificing something to God, it's kind of where the rubber hits the road and we go, is it really worth it? It's kind of the question that kind of comes out of that sometimes. We end up doubting that God is good and his commitment to our happiness, even. Therefore, if we can't see any good reasons for something that God says or does, therefore we can't justify it on our own way of thinking, we assume either that it can't be true or that God has slipped up or he isn't thinking straight. And we go, forget that, I'm not going to go on that journey. Truthfully, you see this happen at the very beginning of time. You see this in Genesis. Adam and Eve are told, you can eat everything in the garden, you just can't eat from this one tree. They didn't get any reason or justification, but through the, the serpent, the enemy slipping in some things and trying to add in their justification, their reaction was, well, clearly, God can't have been saying this correctly. Therefore, we're going to be self-reliant and we're going to choose to eat the fruit. This misentrusting God is a genuine hidden enemy that we can end up getting slipped up in time and time again. Therefore, we get Jonah running. Running away. Running away from God's plan and running towards a religious attitude. Remember last week I talked about that his kind of mirrors the parable of the prodigal son. And we see that happen in this. The prodigal son runs away. Away from the father's um, eye. Jonah runs like the prodigal son away from God's plan. But with a clear sense of mistrust from the father's decision. Like falling into religious doxology like the older brother. Clearly God can't be saying this. And you're not surely doing something right here. In fact, I tell you what is terrifying out of this, these verses. It says that he runs away from the Lord's presence. He, he doesn't just run, it's he runs away from the presence of the Lord. It says that twice. This is really sobering, actually. And whether we like it or not, this can be... A, a moment where it can happen to us. When we run away from God's plan and God's purpose out of fear or mistrust, and we end up so far away from God that we need to rectify a relationship, but in doing so, there is hard because of the depth of mistrust or the great valley of fear to be able to get back to that. I wonder for yourself whether there's been moments where you've ended up, truthfully, not by accident, but purposely running away from the presence of God. Either due to fear or mistrust. It's really dangerous. I know I have myself. Here's the beauty. God does all things for our good because he adores us. Full stop. Done. He does all things for our good because he adores us and he loves us and he cares for us and he wants us. Full stop. 
Therefore, if, if, I, if I'm in a place where it's hard and I'm called to do something, and guess what? It, it has an element of suffering involved in it because it's dying to myself, but I'm living a life for the Lord. I'm asked to do something that I don't justify and I can't maybe understand comprehensively. Why am I doing this? The call is not for me to justify it or for me to find a purpose kind of filled answer in it. The call is for me to lean on and be obedient and to know that if he is going to do things altogether for my good, he will do that. This is the hard part that Jonah didn't learn. If God had promised in his word that he's trustworthy, then he is trustworthy. He doesn't need to prove that, yet he has proven that time and time again. It's not about putting God in a, in a courtroom to say, please can you show us how he's done it? No, God is the judge. He is trustworthy. And by his grace and mercy, mercy he has proven it time and time again. I'm not going to read all of them, but look at these verses. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, in the, lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. It's in the Word. Read the rest of them. Go, go through the Word about it. Another one I was going to bring up was Nehemiah 9. <laughs> Nehemiah is an amazing book. It talks about basically reclaiming reconciliation about the, the um, temple of the Lord. But Nehemiah 9, it talks about the people of Israel basically recalling what God has done. And here's the story. And they basically say, we have failed, we have sinned, but God, you still have provided and in that provision, we then walked away, but God, you are still provided. And in that provision, you walked away, but God, you are still provided. And it says that famous fridge magnet Christian phrase, Lord is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. Why? Because he's trustworthy. Which means if I'm in a situation that I'm like, this is rough. This is hard. Guess what? He's trustworthy. And one day, when I'm with him in heaven, after a million years of worshipping him, then I'll get to a moment where I'm asking and say, why did I go through this? But it's not for me to justify that. It was not for Jonah to justify that. It's for us to be obedient and glorify God. I talked about the two differences in terms of the words. Here's why we know that God is trustworthy. Both those words, what was to Jonah and to Nahum, came true. The people repented and they were saved for a time. Before they then went back into their ways. And in 1612 BC, you had the Battle of Nineveh, where Nineveh was destroyed. Both those words came true. So again, there's not a discontinuation with what we're reading. What we need to learn from this is actually, are we trusting in the Lord? Now, if I'm honest with you, what I've shared today, theologically, is not that deep. We teach our Sunday school kids it. It's kind of the, the classics of Christian teaching. It's things that we should remember. Let me test something. If I was to go A, B, C, D, what would you do? in a horrible tone voice, but still. Yeah, we, we would all know it. If I was to say, twinkle, twinkle, little star. 
See? It's very simple. Pastor saying, Our God is so big. We have sussed out the Christian uh, pastor kids in that way. That's good. Yeah, but you know, right? If, if I was to say, um, God is good all the time. That's why gospel people out there. Yeah? These are things of second nature to us. Guess what one of the things should be second nature to us? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. If we teach our kids it, and kids, if we teach you at a Sunday school, guess what? It has to be true all the time. It's not a mantra, it's not a motto, it's reality. And I, truthfully, by saying these, singing these silly songs to Judah, I've definitely been more humbled and convicted to go, do I actually believe in myself? I wonder when we're talking about trusting the Lord in all times, how much do we trust in it ourselves? Because life gets harder when you're an adult. You can't just run around and sing big fish all the time. But we all need to learn how do we deal with that in all times. Let me finish. One of the best things that I can do in life is to admit that I'm in deep need of a saviour. And by saying I'm in a deep need for a saviour, if that saviour says, go to Jesus, guess what, I'm going. I have to, because I'm need for him. And what's more beautiful is that I have a saviour that modelled this himself. Jesus did not turn the other way and go in the other direction. He turned towards the cross and went to what was hard. Jesus did not do the opposite, but he arose from the Garden of Gethsemane and headed to where the place where he had to lay down his life. Jesus was taken away from the presence of God, calling out, Abba, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never, ever, ever have a chance to leave away from the presence of God. I can forever be in the presence of God and never leave that because of what Jesus has done outside the presence of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of Jonah. Jesus is the fulfillment of someone who ran away to be away from God's plan to someone who ran towards God's plan and destiny for him, even to the point where it took him to death, death on the cross. Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. Do you want to stand with me? Let me pray. Just going to leave a moment now, just very quickly. Just that there's stuff that might have bubbled up around fear or mistrust about God's plan. Just for the Father to come gently through and maybe to identify some areas just for a reminder of trust in him. If God is good on his word, then he's good on every word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that though Jonah ran away, you did not. You were the father who ran to his prodigal son, returning home. All dignity gone out the window because of the preciousness of relationship. Jesus, I praise you for dying on the cross for us. I praise you that we can worship you and honour you.
I praise you that Jesus, by your blood, you have been changed. And though there might be temptations to run away, God, we don't have to. We get to be in your presence every single day. Holy Spirit, just come and be with us, we pray. Come, come through us and identify aspects where there might be fear or mistrust bubbling away that we may be able to look onto you and love for you, long for you and love you because you love us first. Yeah. Praise you for your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.